our service today, we have the privilege of welcoming some visitors all the way from New Zealand. Any New Zealanders here? I knew that. Susie. Anybody else? Any New Zealanders here? Any Australians? Friendly cousins? Uh, from, over the, <laughs> from over the water. Do you know, one of the things I, I've, I've, I can tell the difference between Kikuyu, I can tell Yoruba, I can tell Igbo, I can tell half the tribes of Africa. But if I try, ever try to listen to an accent and discern whether it is from New Zealand or Australia, I get it right about nine times out of ten. But it's that one time out of ten I get wrong that costs you your life. So I don't ever try to do that. But they are uh, great friends. Uh, uh, um, we have uh, Mike Griffiths and his wife, Liz. And uh, Mike is the general superintendent of the Elam churches in New Zealand. And uh, he's also associate minister at Elam Christian Center, which is a multi-campus church in Auckland, there in New Zealand. And they're leading the East Site, uh, East Site which is uh, part of the largest Elam Pentecostal church in New Zealand. It's a multi-site congregation with 50 different nationalities. So we're going to welcome Mike Griffith to come and minister to us. Now, you are most welcome, and along with Liz as well. May God bless you, Mike. Go for it. Thank you so much. What a privilege to be here. And uh, we just can't uh, express our gratefulness to Colin and Amanda enough for having us. I mean, getting to preach at KT. Are you serious? Like we've been saying to people, there's been some sort of mistake. But we're not going to tell anyone. So here we are. And it's just great to be here. Nice to, nice to be here from New Zealand. This is my first uh, trip to the motherland. So uh, it's, it's, it really is an incredible privilege. And uh, we caught up with some, uh, a friend of ours yesterday. And they live, uh, she lives in Putney. And uh, so we went to Putney. It's a funny name, isn't it? <laughs> and it was great. And uh, we passed at a church in Dunedin, which is at the very bottom of New Zealand, uh, for nine years, I was part of the church for 20 years. Very cold down there, so I'm kind of used to cold weather. So it was such a lovely day yesterday, I just couldn't help myself. And we were walking up past the Thames, so I just ripped off all my gears and jumped on in and popped up, and there were all these boats everywhere. <laughs> People were yelling, and I mean, it really seemed very welcoming, waving and making all sorts of signs with their hands at me. You might have seen me on TV. <laughs> no, that wasn't really me at all. Uh, it's great to be here with my, uh, with my good wife, Liz. I left my bad wife at home. Uh, I don't really have two wives. It's okay. We have four kids aged 9 through 12. 9 through 12. 9 through 12. Always need to check. Need to check some details you don't want to get wrong. But it really is wonderful to be here. Why don't we uh, just pray, and then we'll get into the Word of God on this amazing Resurrection Sunday. We're here to celebrate what Jesus has done. Father God, we love you. What a wonderful privilege it is, Lord, for us all to be here together. Lord, it's not by accident that we are here. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence here. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that not a single one of us will leave this place without being transformed just a little bit more into the image of your Son. And so, God, we give you a free reign today, Lord. This is your place, not ours, Lord. We are yours. And I just pray, God, your incredible blessing on every person here in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. I want to tell you a, just a, pr a quick story about something that happened quite some time ago now. I was uh, on the door of the church saying goodbye to people. I like to sneak out uh, just before the last song so I can 
I see people as they head out the door and eyeball them and, and uh, make sure people aren't sneaking out early. And there were, a lady came racing out at the end of the service and went straight past me. I didn't get a chance to say anything to her. She just ran on out. And I remember being struck by how incredibly sad this woman looked. I mean, there was obviously something going on in her life. And I nearly called out to her, but people were starting to stream out. And I'm not sure why. I just let it go. Well, the very next day, I got a phone call from someone who wanted to come and speak to me. And who should it be but this person? And we sat there in my office uh, for an hour. And she cried for an hour as she told me all about 20-something years of unfaithfulness, a marriage that was as good as dead, uh, incredible sense of hurt and, and waste, you know, all these years, have they been for anything more than just my children? Facing confusion and insurmountable problems and not knowing what to do. We believe in a God who raised Jesus from the dead. And yet, I don't know if it's, if it's just me, but... We can find ourselves in situations where we go, you know, it's great that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's wonderful that the power of God can do anything, but what about me? What about my situation? What about my circumstances? It seems there's no way out. I don't know what to do. Where is the power of God for me? I think all of us, if we're honest, have at some time found ourselves wondering, where is God for me? Where is this resurrection power that the scripture tells me lives in me when I find myself stuck and without answers? We're going to talk today about living the resurrection. And we're going to kick off by getting stuck into the word of God. And if you've got your Bibles with you, turn with me to John chapter 20, verse 1. We're going to read a bit of, a bit of scripture this morning. If you don't have your Bibles, that's fine. I'm going to read it out anyway. John chapter 20, verse 1. It says this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, just in case any of us need to know who won the little race. Uh, Have you noticed that? I love that about the disciples. They're so real. They're so like us. Here is John, wonderfully humble, refuses to name himself, but repeatedly lets us know that there was a race, and he did win it. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. And finally, the other disciple who, who, uh, who, had, who had beaten him, finally Simon Peter arrived, and it's like... John, we got it. You won. Well done. 
Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. And they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to him, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. God, we pray you bless your word to us. Give us open ears to hear what you're saying. So let's think about Jesus for a moment as we start our message today. His public ministry lasted only three years. And yet his very life, his birth and his death splits time in two. B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. Now for those of you growing up in today's politically correct educational system. What a tragedy is that we don't have an educationally correct educational system. We, we have a whole generation coming through who are being raised to believe that BC is actually BCE. It's in all the high school history books, at least it is in my country. I suspect it's probably the same here. You see, BCE, we're told, stands for, for Common Era. Before common era. It doesn't mean before Christ, apparently. You know what? Let's be very clear. For the last 2,000 years, everybody has known that BC stands for before Jesus Christ. He is the pivotal and defining moment in all of recorded human history. So we need to just remind ourselves of that once again. We need to make sure our kids understand that when their teachers tell them that BCE stands for before common era, you know what? It just doesn't. It's all about Jesus. Always has been, always will be. Amen. You know, why all this effort? Rewriting all of our textbooks, rewriting all of our curriculum. Why all this effort to muddy the waters? You see, Scripture says that there is no other name given under heaven, no other name by which men may be saved, the name of Jesus Christ. The Scriptures also tell us that there is one name before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is God, that he is the boss, that he is the judge, that he is our father. If you were the prince of darkness, if you were Satan, what name would you attack? What name would you like to pull out of the history books? What name would you like to remove from our calendars, from our daily reminders? It would be the name of Jesus. But you know what? Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is the pivotal point of history as we know it. Amen. So the resurrection is not just the most important event in the Christian calendar. You see, it's actually the most important event in all of history. It was the most potent and powerful supernatural event ever to take place on the planet. You know, you can go to the movies and you can see all the CGI cool supernatural stuff. Seriously? Seriously? 
It's just a joke. The most powerful supernatural event was when Jesus Christ rose up from being dead that day in Jerusalem and walked out of that tomb alive. Hallelujah. You see, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was crucified as the atoning substitutionary sacrifice for our sins to satisfy the demands of, yes, a perfectly loving God, but also a perfectly just God. He died in your place and in my place. He was declared cursed by the law. He was tortured and murdered. He was wrapped in grave clothes, put in a sealed tomb, and three days later, resurrected from the dead, declared by God with power to be Lord of all. And see, the resurrection is unbelievably important for us. So often we preach the cross, but the disciples preached the resurrection. Go and read through Acts again sometime. It's amazing how much they talked about the risen Christ, the resurrection. Jesus was raised to life in the tomb. You realize that? We talk about him being raised but walking out. But actually the place the resurrection took place was inside the tomb. That is when life rose up and took him back. That is when he stood up on his feet. That is when the grave clothes fell from him. That is where it all happened. Don't you wish you could have been a fly on the wall in there? Now we find fascinating pieces of evidence in the scriptures about what went on in the tomb that is incredibly important for us. It's the kind of stuff CSI would love to get their hands on. Even just in the passage we read, verse 6, it talks about the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. What is all that about? I mean, really, who cares? Who cares what happened to the grave clothes isn't the point that Jesus is alive. I've been around long enough to know that any time I come across some little detail like that, you know what? There's something good there for us. I love about the scriptures, there's no padding, there's no superfluous information. They weren't sitting there going, yeah, this chapter's a little short, man. Can we pad it out with something? Can we like, come up with some stuff to put in there? That's not how they wrote the scriptures. I love the fact that when we come across details like that, there is a reason why those details are put in there. There are powerful thoughts and principles that will help us in our lives when we read into those things. Jesus referred to his own death, interestingly enough, by talking about Jonah. So let's go and find out what Jesus said and how that helps us to understand the importance of what happened in the tomb that day for us here today. In Matthew 12, 39, Jesus said, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Okay, let's, let's think about that for a second. You got this man, he's swallowed by a whale. Well, we don't know it's a whale. It could have been a whale. It could have been a great white shark. It could have been a number of animals that live in the sea, and there have been recorded examples of people who have actually been taken in whole by certain animals. Now, we've got to realize Jonah is a dead man. 
He is a dead man. I mean, we must be careful when we come to these things not to read in what we know about the end of the story. We know that Jonah's going to get spit up on the land. But you know what? If we can just pause for a second and remember the context, Jonah doesn't know that yet. From Jonah's perspective, it is over. It is good night. Isn't it like it in our own lives? You know, when we find ourselves in a tough situation or a, a tough place, we don't know yet what God's going to do. We haven't seen the breakthrough. We haven't seen the miracle. We haven't seen the deliverance yet. The exact same thing happened to this man. Here he is in, in this whale, and he's just like, you know what? It's over. I'm toast. He's in this place in the pitch dark, slowly being eaten by stomach juices. It's all pretty gross, really. And yet it is accurate to say that inside that whale, in the place where Jonah was entombed, was the place where Nineveh's future was secured. Oh, we never want to listen to this. This is good. Jonah 1 verse 17. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord as God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. And you, you listened to my cry. And I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good, if I ever get out of here. Salvation comes from the Lord, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. See, Jonah had rebelled. He had ran, run away, yet entombed in that whale was where he repented, where he turned his heart back towards God, where he committed himself again if he had the opportunity to fulfill the purpose of, of God, whatever God required of him. None of his future was secured in that place, in that tomb. Now, this is tremendously significant for us. Jonah brought about the salvation of Nineveh. Jesus brought about the salvation of all of us. Could it be that what happened in the tomb with Jesus, as in the whale with Jonah, is pivotal for understanding our freedom and our future? Okay, so let's, let's look then at what actually happened in the tomb with Jesus. What was Jesus' experience in the tomb? Now, we only know what Scripture tells us. We, knew, we know that he was, firstly, completely bound in grave clothes. You know, he was wrapped up with, with, uh, with these strips of linen, with a separate piece over his, over his head. Now, these grave clothes were, were for a purpose. They were, they, were, they were soaked with pounds and pounds of of, uh, you know, of, of spices and things that would help embalm the body. The body was wrapped tightly. Why? Because part of what happens when a body decomposes is it swells up and then breaks apart. This was kind of to, to manage some of that, to help preserve the body. Jesus was completely bound. Secondly, he was entombed in darkness. And thirdly, he had insurmountable obstacles, huge obstacles blocking the way out. Firstly, a monstrous stone, a monstrous rock, and secondly, a Roman guard. Sounds a little bit to me how our lives can be. Don't we all occasionally find ourselves in circumstances where it just seems like we're just completely bound up? There's just nothing we can do. We just don't have any options. I, 
there's no way forward. Maybe it's just me, but is there anyone here who's ever been in a place like that? Maybe you've been in a place where it's literally like being in darkness, when there's just no, there's no sense of direction, there's no way forward, you don't know how to get out of this place, you don't even know where to begin. These are what we could call tomb experiences. Now, grave clothes can stand for things we find in our lives, things that contain us, that bind us up, that trap us, maybe an abusive relationship. Maybe it's, it's a health issue that so consumes us that we're simply unable to see anything beyond that. Maybe it's a, it's a financial problem that leaves you so strapped, so unable to do anything, literally with no options. Maybe it, it's a work situation that you're in. Maybe it's an out-of-work situation that you are consumed by and you don't know how to move on from. Maybe it's sin or maybe it's addiction. You know, grave clothes can also be things like hurts or unforgivenesses. You know what, if you're carrying unforgiveness towards somebody today, you need to understand. It's like being bound up with grave clothes. It's you that is controlled. It's you that is kept captive. It's you that is shut down. These things limit our lives. Maybe it's attitudes. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's shame. And, and let me take a moment to look at the difference between guilt and shame. You see, guilt is a feeling of unworthiness because of what you have done. Shame is a feeling of unworthiness because of who you think you are. And for both of them, Jesus came so that you could be free from them. Amen. You need to understand that there is nothing that you can do in this world, nothing that should bring a shame on you that... that causes you to feel that you are less valued than anything else. The Scripture says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Scripture says that God loves you with an everlasting love. The Scripture says that God has called you more than conquerors, that He has chosen you and called you by name. And all of this was while we were yet sinners. Don't be sitting here this morning consumed with shame. Don't be sitting here this morning consumed with guilt. Jesus Christ came to lift those off you. They are grave clothes. They will keep you bound up in your life. The second thing, being stuck in the dark with no direction, no answers, no way forward. I don't know about you guys. I've been there. I've been in that place in my life. I've had so many experiences where, you know what, I'm just, I'm just so lost. I don't, even know, I don't even know where to start. Even if I knew what I could do, I, I wouldn't even know what the first step was. And the third thing is dealing with obstacles. Sometimes we find ourselves with obstacles in our way that we seem utterly powerless to move. Maybe it's debt. It's just so, so big, you just, you just don't have a clue. There's just nothing you can do about that. Maybe it's a relationship that is toxic, but you're, you're there in fear or, or you're bound out of a sense of guilt or duty to others and you just don't know what to do about it. Maybe it's a dead-end job. Maybe it's a... It's, it's a, it's a scenario where you, you feel absolutely as if all of your decisions are being made by somebody else. And then 
sometimes we can live our lives with the sense that, you know what, even if we did do something, there's an enemy just waiting to smash us as soon as we put a foot wrong. You know, tragically, maybe sometimes we can even think that's who God is. We can think that God is this, this one who is just waiting for us to put a foot wrong so he can smash us. That is not the God of Scripture. We need to be really clear. That is not Jesus' heavenly Father. That is not our heavenly dad. That is not who he is. God loves you. You know what? Paul experienced this kind of tomb experience. Here he was, incredibly successful young man, brilliant, stand out in his generation, successful. He was a rising star. He'd been delegated the most pressing task that the Pharisees were trying to deal with, that of, of trying to control this new out-of-control Jesus-following sect thing. And he was on his way to deal with this. I mean, he was carving out his future when suddenly in the midst of it all, he's knocked off his donkey, Triumph motorbike, if, if we're making it relevant for today. I, if, if, it was, if I was Paul, I'd be probably riding a Triumph motorbike. Knocked off, blinded, hearing a voice from this person who he was pretty sure wasn't alive and now appears that he was. You see, Paul was a man bound up in his ambition, absolutely tied up in his pride and his violent efforts to control what was out of control in his world. He was entombed literally as well as spiritually. You see, God struck him blind. What is that? Is that God's judgment on him? He knew what the law said. He knew how the law talked about People who have these things are often cursed by God. And again, we've got to remember that Paul hasn't seen the end of the story yet. All he knows is that he's blind. That, that, that's all he knows. He doesn't know if he's going to come out of this. And he's seen the plight of people born blind. And even worse, he's seen the plight of people who went blind. In a society with, with no ability to care for those sort of needs, if you went blind, well, you lost your ability to, to, to make money. You lost your ability to function effectively in society. He would have seen people, probably even peers, who, for whatever reason, lost their sight and ended up begging on the roadsides. What fear was Paul consumed with as he faced the possibility that, you know what, it could be all over for him. The obstacles that Paul faced were more than he could deal with. The scriptures tell us he was so traumatized he ate and drank nothing for three days. I mean, you, you can't exist for more than about three days without fluids. Paul was literally on the verge of death itself. Paul is definitely having a tomb experience. What about the woman caught in adultery? We know the story very well. We don't know what caused her to end up in the scenario and just to take a look at context for a moment, very important to understand that this woman was not raised in, in the kind of societal context we have where promiscuity is, is accepted, in fact, it's championed. That was not the kind of society she was raised in where she could turn on the television every night and see adultery celebrated as if it is the latest cool thing, the fun thing to do. She lived in a society where if a woman was found on her or could be proven on her wedding night to not be a virgin, she could be stoned to death for that. And so 
what had happened to this woman to bring her to the place that she was now sleeping with married men and in these sort of relationships? What, did she have an abusive background? Was she in fear with her as a child? What, what had gone on? We don't know, but we know that she is in an extremely bad place, bound up in her sin and wrong choices, now dragged into the center of a hostile crowd, trapped with no way out, her life now literally counted in minutes, not years. She was entombed, literally surrounded by the worst bunch of people you want to have around you, a bunch of Pharisees. And now she finds herself with the greatest obstacle of all, Yeshua, the Messiah, the one they said who was the one to come, now the most holy of all, standing in front of her. There was no way out. You know, a number of years ago, I went through a bit of a tomb experience in my own life. I'd been pastoring a church for three years. Uh, my associate pastor, who did all my pastoral care, uh, left, uh, which was a, a wonderful thing. There was a call of God on her life. There was a, a pastoral opportunity. We sent her off with celebration. It left a huge hole on my staff. I ended up working long hours and found myself in a very, very dark place. The more I worked the less effective I was as I went into burnout. And I kept telling myself that the problem was I just wasn't working hard enough. The more I drove myself, the less effective I became. Our marriage was probably in the worst state it had been in ever. I would come home from work and the kids would hear me come in and they would, you could see them willing themselves to be invisible. They, they wouldn't even acknowledge me when I came in. Just terrified that dad was going to, lose it again, dad was going to yell at them or do something again. It was a really tough place. And I just didn't know what to do about it. The more I worked, the worse it got. I, I didn't have the answers. The obstacles seemed insurmountable. I walked to work every day cons- uh, compiling my resignation letter in my head. How about you? Because I, I, I know that every person here, if you're a person, and you probably are, if you're a person, you've been through an experience like this. And you know what? I bet you actually there's a whole bunch of us that are right in the midst of it right now, going through some tough stuff. I want to share some really powerful principles that have helped me live the resurrection power of Jesus in my life that I believe will really help you today. The first one is this. Number one, Take off your grave clothes. I'm fascinated by what Jesus left behind in the tomb. We're told specifically that the grave clothes were left there, that the headpiece was folded and put separately. I've often wondered why. Who cares? Who cares about the grave clothes? They could have, they could have vaporized. They, they could have been kind of taken outside and thrown away. They could have been sitting in the corner. I mean, who cares about the grave clothes? It's fascinating to me that such an inane detail is so clearly described in the Scriptures. Now, I love that stuff because that tells me, oh, there's something there. There's something there for us. There is nothing irrelevant. And I'm convinced that Jesus left it there for a reason, that Jesus made sure that we understood and knew that when he walked out of the tomb, they were left behind. And here is the thought this morning, team. What you were wrapped up in that got you into your tomb, you've got to leave behind when you come out of it. Paul had to leave behind his plans, 
his pride, his violent life, if he was going to step into the things that God had for him. He just had to. He had to be humbled. He had to leave it behind. The woman caught in adultery. What did Jesus say to her? Go your way and sin no more. She had to leave it behind. She had to make the decision. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to leave that old life behind. When I came out of my burnout, I had to leave behind my pride, my self-reliance, my idolatry of my work. What about you? What is it in your life if you're going through that right now? What are your grave clothes that you've got to take off and leave behind? You see, too many Christians try to live a victorious Christian life still all bound up in their grave clothes. They come hopping out of the tomb. Hey, hey. Praise the Lord, free and loving it. Why? That's crazy. And we keep wondering why God comes along and picks us up and puts us back in the tomb when we dress like a dead person. And I'm talking spiritually here, but it is so true. I don't know about you. It may be you, but I guarantee you've known somebody like that. They go through a dark time and they come out again and you know nothing has changed in their life. They've taken nothing off. They've put nothing down. And it is only a matter of time. And before they are back in that place again. Some of us go around the cycle every, every week, every few months, every few years. We find ourselves back in a tomb experience again. Because we've never taken the time to take off the grave clothes. Those things, those issues, those attitudes that got us in there. And leave them behind when we come out. Hebrews 12 says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Ephesians 4.22 says, put off your old self. Literally, just shrug it off. Take it off like an old coat, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires. Be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The things that you are wrapped up in that got you into your tomb, you got to leave them behind when you come out. And I want to challenge you this morning. Don't walk out those doors, some of you. Don't walk out those doors without taking off some grave clothes today. Let's leave them behind. And you know what? Sometimes it's just as, sometimes it's just as easy as that. And, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes you've got to go and find a quality counselor, someone who can help you navigate and unwrap and all those sorts of things. But sometimes you just got to make the call. you just got to say, I'm done with that. You've just got to lay it down and leave it behind and walk away. It's amazing what you can do if you decide to. What's the first thing that Jesus did with Lazarus? He called him out of the tomb. But he said to him, or he said to those around him, Unwrap, take off the grave clothes. You know what? Some of us today, God is calling you out of your tomb. Why? Because we were never meant to be tomb dwellers. Isn't that the truth? Is there any coincidence that Jesus names his followers, the church, the ecclesia, literally the called out ones? What are you wrapped up in that got you into your tomb? Make the decision today to leave it behind when you come off, come out. Take off those great clothes. The second thought is this. Don't forget your keys. Stay with me on this. Revelations chapter 1 verse 18. I am the living one. Who's speaking? Jesus. I'm the living one. I was dead and behold, I'm alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and hell. 
You see, when Jesus was raised, he came out carrying something that he didn't have when he went in to his tomb experience. He came out with the keys to death and hell. He took those keys off the devil when he went down there. Hallelujah. And that is why the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church because, baby, we got the keys. You see, we spend a lot of our time wondering how the devil can come in and pillage the kingdom of God when we should be going in and pillaging the kingdom of hell because they aren't locked anymore because we've got the keys. Amen? Salvation, healing, eternity with God are opened to us through what He came out with. Here's the thought. The things you come out of your tomb experience with will be the keys which will unlock many people's lives. They will be the keys to your greatest ministry effectiveness. Paul came out of his tomb experience with the personal revelation that Jesus was alive, that Jesus was raised from the dead. He knew it because Jesus spoke to him. And that's such a powerful apologetic. How do you know that Jesus is alive? Well, you know what? I spoke with him this morning. That's why we have quiet times. That's why we come to the Lord and worship. He knew it. He'd spoken with him on the road to Damascus. And as a result, Paul preached powerfully about Jesus, convinced many that he was indeed the Messiah and that he was alive. And as a result, many put their faith in him. The woman caught in adultery. Wow. She would have come out of that experience with such an understanding of God's grace. Such a revelation of her self-worth. Why? Because Jesus let her see that her sin was no different from the Pharisees, despite what they said. Now, we're not told, but you know what? I guarantee you that there were many, many women in Jerusalem in those years ahead that had a revelation of who they were in Christ of their incredible value and preciousness in the sight of God through that woman's testimony of what she went through. Why? Because she brought the keys out with her when she came. In my life, I came out of that whole burnout experience with keys to understanding balance and caring for myself. When I share this stuff, it unlocks people. In fact, I was teaching in a Bible class just two weeks ago and and I was in the middle of, of sharing my burnout story and some of the keys that the Lord had shown me. And, and one girl put her hand up, and normally, you know, it's like, wait till I finish talking, then you can do the questions. But, but I, I said, you know, you have a question? She said, no, I don't have a question. But I just wanted to say thank you so much for sharing this because this is unlocking something in my life that I've struggled with for years and never understood. And you know what? In your tomb experiences, if you will come out with keys, because I promise you there are keys there for you, you will find powerful ministry effectiveness in the years ahead. And the point is this. It's not even for you. It's for all the people around you, all the people that God brings across your path who desperately need somebody to unlock them, and you don't realize, but you had the keys for it all along. You just left them in your tomb. Sometimes we come out of these bad experiences and we go, well, what was that all about, God? That just seemed pointless. There is nothing pointless in God. Nothing. I challenge you. If you've been through a tough time and you couldn't work out what it was all about, go back there. Go sit down somewhere with a coffee in the Lord. Open your Bible. Go for a walk somewhere and, and just go back to that place again and ask God, God, what were the keys 
that I was meant to come out of that tomb with because I guarantee you they are there. Don't leave your tomb until you have your keys. They will bless and unlock many lives for God's glory. The third thought this morning is this. Trust God to move the obstacles that you can't. Have you ever wondered why the angels were there? I mean, angels didn't really need to be there. You know, Jesus is raised. It's all about Jesus. What are the angels doing there? Were they, were they just heavenly messengers to pass the message on to Mary? It seemed a little overkill because Jesus was there anyway. Uh, were they just there to add a stamp of supernatural authority like, angels, cool, see, God was here, just in case you were wondering. The angels are there for a purpose. Did you realize that with a tomb, the stone cannot be opened from the inside? The angels were there to remove the stone. The angels were there to deal with the Roman guards. And here's the thought this morning, team. God will shift the obstacles that we can't. Yes, he will. You know what? We see angels in Scripture from time to time. It's an amazing thing. And sometimes it's Jesus actually turning up, and you can tell when it's actually Jesus because when people bow down, Jesus accepts the praise because it is right. But when someone bows down before an angel, the angel is always like, hey, buddy, don't bow down to me. You know, get up, man. Like we're all on the same side here. Psalm 91 verse 11 says, For he will command his angels concerning you. Do you get that? God will command his angels concerning you. Hey, angels, get down there. Get down there. I need you to do something. We're going to move some obstacles for that one. I go, go, go. My kid needs some obstacles moved. I need you to get onto it. He's not suggesting to the angels they go and help us. He is commanding, and Hebrew tells us, that the angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Who is it that inherits salvation? It is me. It is you. It is us this morning, and God will do that. And, and, and here's the amazing thing. God sometimes will work through human angels as well, people sent by God on assignment, people just like you. Angels like Ananias, sent by God to a specific house on a specific street. And through him, God shifted what Paul couldn't, healed from his blindness, commissioned by God, sent on his way. Ananias was one of God's human angels. What about the woman caught in adultery? We don't realize that God had placed a human angel in that crowd. You see, when Jesus said, let him who is among you without sin cast the first stone, do you know what was going on? Everybody was waiting for the first Pharisee to pick up the stone. I mean, there, there was no other option because see, the Pharisees are, are holy. My gosh, they're without sin. Who, who's the first one? But somewhere in there, God had placed somebody with the humility and the courage to turn around and push their way out of the crowd. Someone who had the humility to know that we are all sinners before God. There but for the grace of God go I. Until only Jesus and the woman were left. For me in my burnout, it was an elder and his wife, a wonderful couple. 
who opened the door of their home to Liz and myself at 8 a.m. on New Year's Day. Who does that? They listened to our struggles, to my struggles. They gave me the use of their holiday home to, to cry and, and struggle and wrestle and talk with God and find the way out of my term experience. They lend us life-changing books, support and advice, guide us, sorted out. The question this morning is for you. What are your obstacles that are insurmountable? What are the things that you cannot shift? Because I've got good news for you. Just because there are things in your life that you cannot shift does not mean the game is over. Because God promises to do the things in our lives that we cannot. You see, the resurrection is part of God's plan for you too. We are people of the resurrection. The scripture tells us that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside me, lives inside you, lives inside you, lives inside you this morning. And the spirit of God lives inside you. The resurrection power of God is here. And God will do these things for you. If you will take off your grave clothes and leave them behind. If you will do that. And secondly, if you will make sure that when you walk out, you take the keys that you're meant to be taken out. If you will do that, you can leave the obstacles to God. He's really good at dealing with obstacles. This is our heritage. Do you realize that? This is our This is our family inheritance, the promises of God, the commitment of the Lord to us. And when we find ourselves in a tomb, may we understand that this is God's opportunity to continue changing the world through us. Have you been in a dark time and didn't see God's plan in it? Perhaps you've been through a tomb experience and you're still wearing the grave clothes. Today, why don't you cast them off, leave them here? No one will even see them, but you'll know you left them here. Let today be that day. Perhaps you've come through a dark time with nothing to show for it. Go find your keys. Go find them. There are people that need you to have them. And thirdly, perhaps you've found yourself hemmed in by obstacles you are powerless to remove. Trust God to command his angels concerning your obstacles, for he will do it. You know, I started this Message talking about this particular woman. Well, I gave her some advice. I told her to go and seek God. And to her credit, she did. She went away and she took three days off of work, sick leave. She just went walking. She'd just walk up and down beaches. She would sit in coffee shops. She would drive around. She just did that. And she talked with God and she, she asked him the big questions and demanded answers from him. And she cried and she wrestled her way through. And the amazing thing is, is that God turned up. You know what? She came back just, just four days later, she came back to me. An absolutely transformed woman. I had never seen her smile before. You know what? She had a beautiful smile. 
She was full of joy. God had met her. She'd taken off her grave clothes. She'd, she'd found a way to leave her guilt and her fear and her shame and her failure behind and, and just step away from it. She didn't even think it could be done, but God met her and took her through the process. I was told her to journal what she was going through, and you know what? She did. And as she wrote down the things that were happening every day, she started to see keys that God was showing her that, that meant that the, the pain and the years she'd been through counted for something because she had something she could use, powerful understandings and revelations. And I said to her, girl, you've got to take those keys out of here because you're going to need those keys. You're going to need those keys. And the incredible thing was is that the obstacles God began to move. She told her husband about what had happened. Her husband said, I want to punch that pastor. And instead, he came to see me and wept himself. God began to roll the stone away. God will do the same for you. We are people of the resurrection team. It marks our lives. May we live the resurrection when darkness comes our way. May we have confidence to know that God has not abandoned us or left us. And that just because it all seems dark and there's no way forward, that it ain't over. It ain't over till Sunday. It doesn't matter if it feels like Friday, Sunday's coming. And when Sunday comes, God is going to do incredible things in your life. Let us commit ourselves again to follow in the footsteps of our risen Savior who went there for us. Come on, let's pray. Wonderful God, I pray, Lord, for these amazing people here this morning. God, every one of them, God, so full of, of potential and life and strength and hope, God. People full of you, Lord, who love you and are trying to do their very best. God, I pray, God, we'll be overwhelmed by your grace this morning. God, that we'll truly know your power in us, God. That we'll step up with new faith and new confidence. And God, that we will move on into this next season of our lives, God, with freedom. God, I pray this morning, Lord, even right now, Lord, that you will do what we sang about earlier. God, that, we will do, that you will do miracles in us today, Lord. And as we stand together and celebrate our risen Savior, God, let us stand in the newness of life you brought for us. God, we thank you for the resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.